hello and welcome to another All Saints Conversation. And we have a great time today. I'm Connie Willems. I'm Brock Bingaman. And we have a special guest with us that we'll introduce to you in just a few minutes. But we are going to talk today about something that I actually find hard to pronounce. Hmm. It's the philokalia. Yes. And Brock, philokalia is something that goes way back with you. And I just rattled the word off there. And I suspect people are going, the what? The what? So could you tell us what the philokalia is? I'm looking at it right here. It Before I even tell what it is, it's two words together. Philokalia in Greek means love of the beautiful. And if I could just interrupt for a second, yes. I'm going to spell it for people. Okay. Because it's really a strange word. P-H-I-L-O. K-A-L-I-A. Yes, spelling bee. (laughs) So philokalia, if you think of the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, you can see that same root there, philo. So this is a collection of writings called the philokalia that means love of the beautiful. And it really comes to us from the Eastern Orthodox Church. And they're writings from the 4th to 15th centuries and it's 35 different writings that are brought together. And it's kind of their best of spiritual classics that instruct people on prayer, life with Jesus, very practical kinds of things that monastic writers gave to us. So there are these collections, and they've been gathered together in four volumes. Um, you can find them on the internet, and I'll put a link up, but it's easier to see them in the actual books. But mm-hmm. we want to introduce our special guest who's with us today, which who is Scott Duncan. Scott, yeah. welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and Brock, you and Scott go way back. So you tell us a little bit about what it was that made you say, I want Scott to come and talk about the Philokalia with us. I don't know whether to introduce Scott or roast Scott, <laughs> so I'm going to try to be good here. Um Wow, we go so far back, and what's amazing is I go back with Scott, and my wife Amanda does too. So they went to church here together at Our Lord's, and Scott and Deborah, his wife, knew my in-laws. Um, I think we go back to about 1998, I think. Okay, all right, and it would have been Bridgeway Church. It would have been Bridgeway Bridgeway Church, that's 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 where we met, but... It's interesting, my wife has deeper history than that. Yes, from the 70s. But Scott's like a family member. Scott um, has done many things for our family, has helped with um, Amanda's parents' trusts, these kinds of things. But Scott is a dear family friend, and I'm going to get emotional here in a minute. So... Well, you said help with trust. What does that mean? Yeah, financial planning, estate planning. You have your own company, Covenant. Why don't you tell us? Well, we we do financial and investment management for uh, families, mm-hmm. and that includes all kinds of activity. And it's it's a boutique operation. So you mentioned trust. Uh, we advise um, on the kinds of arrangements people should have to accomplish the goals that they set out. Mm-hmm. So it looks like, just even listening to that, where we just ended up talking about ancient spirituality and financial planning, that these things don't go together. Yes. So what makes them go together? We haven't even mentioned wine. Scott (laughs) has many different facets to his character. He's a wine connoisseur. He's an outdoorsman. He rides his bike in the mountains of Colorado. 
And so lots of different facets. We could have a whole podcast on you and no. maybe one day we'll tell your story. But this combination of someone who can do financial planning yes. and also this thing we're talking about with the love of the beautiful in these ancient writings. They, Scott, you have been engaged with these for how many years now? Probably six years, but it took me four years to work through the Philokalia the first time. Four years. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened to you when you opened it for the first time? It was a gift from Corey War, a friend of Brock's and mine. And when I saw it, he had laughed when I said I thought I would read it. And the next day, I think it was, he brought all four volumes, and I realized why he laughed. <laughs> 1,600 pages of small uh, print. Um, so it was a bit overwhelming, mm. but immediately um, brought me into a different worldview that's very significant. What's made it significant for you? I think my normal day looks a lot like working with ideas, um, and from that, I, I hope relationships develop. Philokalia is is doing life with these monks who start with relationship, and then the ideas emerge out of that. So it's it's a different worldview than than most of us have with a Western Protestant mindset. Mm. Now, Brock. Scott mentioned doing life with these monks. Is, are the most of the things in here written by monks? Yes. It's, it's called ascetic literature. So it's written by monks who were ascetics, and that literally means like spiritual athletes. These are people that devoted their entire lives to prayer and solitude and fasting, oftentimes in the desert. They were withdrawing from society and so these are these are their writings so a lot of these guys are the desert fathers that we've been talking exactly. about exactly that's right that's right and i'm just automatically thinking how in the world scott why would you want to read monks from the 4th to 15th centuries it sounds incredibly outdated irrelevant and how does this doing life with monks life with god as a financial planner what what how's that work out exactly the the whole idea is to gain insight and life out of what these men were doing that translates to life today. I mean, that it makes me more attentive to the idea of the whole person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we oftentimes segment our spiritual lives and our daily lives and. The Philokalia is all about there is no separation. It is life. Mm. Yeah, it's a holistic approach rather than, okay, this is sacred. I'm having time with the mm -hmm. Lord, and now I'm going to engage in a secular world. It, the Philokalia really dissolves There's no all distinction. Of that. There's no distinction. And that has been life-changing um, because so, even in financial planning, we're dealing with it as, as if I am doing it for God, which I am. Hmm. So let me ask about that for a bit, hmm. because the idea of maybe doing financial planning for God, mm -hmm. I would say that's scriptural. Whatever you do, do it heartily mm -hmm. as unto the Lord. But the your life today, as you're going to work, is so different from these guys who were living in the desert, where their work was to pray. So that's the thing I struggle with when I read some of these ancient people. I look at it and go, yes, but their life was so different from mine. Their circumstances were different, but their lives are no different. What do you mean by that? 
I mean the 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 concerns they had, the um, uh, needs they had to uh, connect with Jesus, mostly Jesus. He, he's the what is the one who's mentioned most often in Philoclea. That is what we're called to do, and the circumstances don't change what God is calling us to in relationship. Mm. Mm. It's interesting, even as you say that, I think of one of the Desert Fathers who is is in the Philoclea, John Cashin, is the one really who talks about the the eight sins that human beings struggle mm-hmm. with. And so I'm guessing that they struggled with the same root sins that we do now. Of course. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was reading, I think it was last night, I was reading that section, come to think of it, and he was talking about, ah, this, I don't think I have the exact word. Yeah, it was the eight sins and the um, struggle against dejection and what happens when dejection. we get dejected mm. and discouraged and disheartened. And I was reading this going, I am not a monk back in wherever it was that he wrote this, but I need someone to point out to me what can happen to me if I let dejection into my life because I've done it and it has tanked me emotionally and spiritually. Mm. And so I need this guy speaking to me from 1,500 years ago about That's right. it. That's right. And it, it's profound to see there's something perennial, ongoing that speaks to us. I, I'm thinking too, Scott, as you talk about being a financial planner, um, Anthony, St. Anthony of the Ooh. Desert, talks about, you know, he's devoting his life to fasting and prayer and all, but he learns of a doctor who's in the city and I can't remember if it's by revelation or what it is, but Antony learns that this doctor who's got a family and has many patients is doing the same continual prayer that Antony is out in the desert. And he makes this connection for us, really, that aren't going to live out in the desert. Well, one of the the themes that runs throughout the Philokalia is the so-called Jesus prayer. Yeah, talk about that. Um it is well. It depends on which version, but the the long version that I that I work with is Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Usually, a sinner is left off, but in my case, I decided to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting how that prayer can become. I'm a, I'm going to call it background while I'm doing financial planning. It is on a loop running. Sometimes I recognize it, sometimes I don't, but it is part of who I am now. So in the back of your mind and in your heart, this prayer is continuing to pray, even if you're talking numbers with someone in front of you. Yes, hopefully I don't make a mistake on the numbers as a result. <laughs> well, you might even do your numbers better, more we, skillfully we, we can, with we the help of Jesus. That, yes. Okay, so yeah. let me ask this. How do you think over the years then that having that in the background, how do you think that's affected you? I think it makes me attentive to what God is trying to do. I think of doing life with God as joining in with what he's already doing mm. rather than me discovering what needs to be done. Mm. And so to be attentive to what God is doing around me um, is is key to living life with him. And this prayer connects you to that. I want to ask 
when did you start praying this prayer? Because you, you were saying it, it predates your time it, with the Philippi. It, it does. And that is, you asked earlier why I was interested. It, it is because the Jesus prayer is a prominent theme in the Philippi. Um, I learned that prayer here at Our Lord's Community Church. Our pastor was interested at the time in, um, I'll call non-Protestant uh, approaches and introduced that to me. Hmm. So I was using it for years before you actually introduced me to Philokalia. Yeah. What what would you say to people that say, Scott, that might that sure sounds rote. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. A sinner if the shoe fits. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> how would you respond to that? It's rote. Doesn't that just become mechanical? In a sense it is mechanical because you're repeating it, but it is life giving if it takes on a life of its own within you and keeps going. I'm not repeating it, it is repeating itself within me, if Hmm. that makes any sense. What do you think of that? How do you make sense, Connie, of that? It's almost praying within him. Something's getting embedded there. It's interesting. I just had a conversation this morning out of my coaching world where I was bringing in neuroscience and the fact that our brains develop pathways Mm -hmm. in them. And so our habitual thoughts are going to create some kind of pathway within not just our brains, but I'm going to add to it within our hearts and minds and souls. Hmm. And for this past week, I have been listening to a certain song and it has been playing in the back of my mind and I don't particularly want it there. (laughs) 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 But why not if I'm going to have something playing itself out in my heart and my mind and my soul, why not have something that's turning Lord Jesus Christ. Those words alone, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, reorient me out of my world into, well, not into the real world as if I don't live in it, but they enlighten me and bring me into the realm of the God in whom I live and move and have my being, Mm. as the Apostle Paul said. So they're Mm. grounding me in Mm. reality. Yeah, that's good. There is a commonality in the broader Orthodox community where they know every Sunday, every day they meet, there is a certain uh, progression of reading and of praying. When I go to friend, when I go to lunch with a, a, my Orthodox friend, Corey, I always let him pray because there is a prayer that's being done that day. That can seem rote, but it also can say we are tying into a community that we know are doing the same yeah. thing. We're all together in this. Mm. Wow, that's rich. It's such a fragmented world where we're pelted with things. That that's be. What and about frankly, Protestants, though? Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to add to that because I grew up in a Protestant tradition where we prize spontaneous prayer that's spontaneous and mm-hmm. personal. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted to lose that, which is what made me say, well, prayers like this, I need to be careful of. When I began exploring these, what I would call written prayers or prayers that had been developed over the centuries, what I found is that spontaneously, I don't pray nearly as big or as grounded as I could. Mm. I don't have it in me to pray spontaneously like that. Mm. So I need people handing me words and I say, oh, that is what I would want to say to God if I'd only had words for that. I didn't know I wanted to say that. Mm. Which I want to bring us back to a point. You were talking about reading the Philokalia this kind of holistic perspective mm-hmm. that whether you're on your bike or taking a walk or you're at work, the Lord is with you 
all the time, the Lord indwelling you. You also mention something about relationship and the Jesus prayer tying into that. But could you talk about that a little bit, the focus on relationship? And this is too broad a brush, and I'm going to be hard on my Western tradition. But in the West, I think we tend to analyze ideas trying to direct us toward relationship. The Philokalia starts with relationship and lets the ideas develop out of that. Hmm. And it's it's a different way to come at um, our, our walk with Jesus um, that I think is more, as you said, holistic, not fragmented, not analytical, but experiential. Can you illustrate that, whether you're doing it with the West first or the Eastern side? Can you illustrate what you're talking about? Relationship first and then kind of explanation. So, if you read Thomas Aquinas, he picks through every idea possible to get to where he's trying to go with who God is and who we are in His part. And it and it's it's good, but it's it's tedious and it isn't full of life. Mm -hmm. You read the Philokalia, and you're 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 immersed in this this life with these people. And the ideas are part of it, but they're not the focus. It is relationship with Jesus that's the focus. And you get the doctrine along the way. The doctrine is part of the experience rather than the experience coming out of the doctrine. Hmm. So instead of leading with point one, point two, point three, point four, therefore this about God, oh yeah, now let's try to experience it. What you're doing is being invited into an experience that has rich ideas behind it. There aren't new ideas that's just seeing the same ideas a different way mm. and coming at it a different way. Now, you, mm. I'm guessing, financial planner, ideas, numbers guy, wanted to read 1,600 pages. You probably are a systematic and methodical thinker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where is she going with this? I'll admit to that much. <laughs> So I'm guessing that this world probably took some surrender for you to enter into this other way of approach that was more experiential. Yes, it, it is. It, it really is like learning a language that's different. Mm. And as you learn that language, you become more aware of things that before were hidden. Mm. And most of the time I would I would do my my work in Philokalia in the mornings. And somewhere along the way, I would complete what I needed to for the day or I needed to get to the job. And leaving that was very jarring. Mm. It's just, you. It, it is like culture shock in a very good way, yeah, in yeah. a very good way. And But then, as we said, some of that culture goes with you and, and influences um, the workaday world. Yeah. So you began to carry a new culture with you mm -hmm. that added to what you already had. Right. So I'm sitting here thinking, what if I... This sounds intimidating. I don't know. First of all, I'm having difficulty pronouncing the Philoclea, much less acquiring four volumes and entering into a world that's going to left, leave me jarred. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who maybe their interest has peaked a little bit, but it's intimidating? I started with page one and began working <laughs> through, thought I'd just go on through the 1600. By, I've got my notes somewhere around page 283, I said, this is not working. <laughs> I'm in the Leviticus right now. <laughs> yeah. 
And I was fortunate that um, I was able to to have some conversation with a priest monk at St. Elijah who said, no, 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 don't start there. Mm. Um, and, and he gave some direction, which helped a good deal. There, there are writers who speak in terms that are more familiar to us that are good transition. Mm. And you've mentioned a couple of those. Yeah. Can you? St. Simeon, the new theologian, and the whole idea of what a theologian is in the, in the East is, is, Maybe worth talking about uh, Saint Mark the ascetic. Okay. Uh, both of those write in a way that we would say, "Yes, I understand what you're doing." You mentioned something about Simeon too. The Lord came after him. That's kind of what launched him. Rather than he's leaving, going to the desert, seek it, finding God. God found him. That that's I mean that felt more Protestant, if you will, yeah. uh, more Reformed at least. Yes, he made the point that when God really, in, when he encountered God, God encountered him, and and it was a, a a grace gift. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't slept on hard ground. He hadn't fasted and prayed. He said, "Oh, I did a few vigils, but really, mm. I, it wasn't what I did that had God come and and have relationship with me. It, it was God's purpose and pleasure." Later, he did the other things mm. to purify himself. So the Lord came after him. Mm -hmm. I also think of his quote, the best is for all. St. Simeon says that. So here he looks at his own life. The Lord's come after him. But he's also saying this isn't for some kind of spiritual elite, some exclusive. It's not even just for monks. The best is for all. Intimacy with Jesus is there if you want it. What I have been intrigued to find is that I'm not really studying this. I'm certainly not reading straight through. But as I dip in... I'm usually getting a sentence or two at a time, and I'm like, mm. that's enough. That's enough mm. to think about. Yeah. There's one I have been pondering for two or three weeks now. What is it? Which is the idea that to lose hope is more serious than to sin, which really caught my attention. But they were saying, pay attention not to lose hope. Mm. It's serious in what it does to your soul. Mm. And that's enough to think about for a long time. Yeah. So I didn't need huge chunks to get something that's the beauty it's almost like fortune cookie spiritual <laughs> wisdom is that you're not reading four or five pages it's oftentimes written they call them chapters and they're sayings that are meant to be chewed on throughout the day so that's what i've, I've told students before it's like cracking a spiritual fortune cookie open and having something to ponder for the entire day that's how monastic literature is written sometimes you may not even read more than a few lines, and you can't get past it because the Lord's laying something open for you, and then you can pray into it for a day or maybe several days. One of the common Beautiful. formats is what they call centuries. It's you just it. 100 spiritual insights, thought, direction, and many times one is enough for the day. Very Both of you cool. winced when I said fortune cookie. The Lord can speak through donkeys and fortune Absolutely. cookies. And, and even me. <laughs> Which is... Worse than a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Connie, what else comes to mind? I think if for me, I'm just pondering this idea that I'm not leaving my tradition behind. I'm opening mm. doors that mm. give God more access to me from other traditions. Mm. And so if I can open more of those doorways that give him ways to get in, mm. that's a benefit. That's a benefit. These are sisters and brothers. Yeah. So if 
as the author of Hebrews says, we live in the communion of saints. That means now we've got sisters and brothers all over the planet that share the faith, but we also have people in history from every tradition who are sisters and brothers. So we're learning from them. As Connie calls them, these are our posse. Yeah. These are our spiritual posse. And so we need support. We need wisdom from them. There's a good dose of humility in it for me as well. Mm-hmm. How so? I'm just saying I am not that different as I think I am. Mm. I'm not in this special climate. When you go underneath the surface, I need to learn. I need new ways of thinking. I need God to have more access. So it's just putting myself in the place of a learner Mm. and saying I need as much as I can. That's that's interesting. We are we're saying even in our own tradition, mm. Protestant tradition, evangelical tradition, we don't have all that we need. We, yet we have the scriptures, but why wouldn't we want to read what other people have meditated into and lived into and read their writings? And and we have to say, scripture is a gigantic portion of the Philokalia. Yes. This is not this is not the Lone Rangers out there. They, no, they're quoting they it continually. Yes. yes. And I, I do find some of their interpretations interesting, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. but they're very practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of it's allegory and things, but yeah, that a is lot a of great allegory. point, yeah. Scott. Yeah. It is suffused with the Bible. Yeah. Really, the Philokalia, simply put, is meditation on the Bible. Mm-hmm. Someone said it's formed in the matrix or the womb of meditation on Scripture. So it is a scriptural collection of writings, for sure. And Protestants like to hear that, don't they? Well, I think God might like that as well. He wrote the Bible, so... It is the Word. Yeah, I think he's kind of a fan of it. Hmm. What I would like to do, and Brock, you could help us with this, is find a short section that we can reference both on the website that we might be able just to read to people to give them an example of what we're talking about, just to let them hear a little bit. Okay. I've got to find that. Um Probably not a bad idea to to mention a book, an introduction to the Philokalia that a dear Orthodox brother of mine and I put together because of the need for it. And we'll put that on the website as yeah. well. But it's called The Philokalia, A Classic Text of Orthodox Spirituality. And it's edited by Bradley Nassif and myself. And it's a helpful guide, a roadmap into the Philokalia and lays out as Scott mentioned, some starting points on page 32 in this book of where to begin rather than starting at page 1. I mean, here's one that I love. Our intellect, because God, because created in God's image, possesses likewise the image of the sublime eros or intense longing, an image expressed in the love experienced by the intellect for the spiritual knowledge that originates from it, and continually abides in it. This is this is the longing that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about, that um, 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 Eldridge wrote about. This desire, this longing, is a result of. And I love George MacDonald's uh, essay that says creation is from the imagination of God, and our imagination, which by the way, Philoclea doesn't have high things to say about generally. Our imagination is is in us so that we can match up. We can have harmony with his imagination. And there's that longing to be in harmony with God. Read that again. Yeah. Our intellect, 
because created in God's image, possesses likewise the image of the sublime eros, or intense longing, an image expressed in the love experienced by the intellect for the spiritual knowledge that originates from it and continually abides in it. Um, I love that. Lewis called it a, um, um, what was it? A memory of a memory. That, yeah. that Eden is in us as a memory of a memory, even if we don't recognize us, we're always being drawn to God. And, and when we're, when we're going the other way, we're out of harmony. Yeah. There's something in us pulling us back. Yeah. I'm going to read just a very simple couple of quotes from a guy named Evagrius. Entrust to God the needs of your body, and it will be clear that you entrust to him the needs of your spirit also. Entrust to God the needs of your body, and it will be clear that you entrust to him the needs of your spirit also. I mean, that's straight going back to Matthew where Jesus says, I will provide your food and your mm-hmm. clothes. You take care of the kingdom, I'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. Or you pursue the kingdom and I'll right. take care yeah, of you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We're not taking care of it. <laughs> and then there's this, which is pretty challenging to me. Do not shun poverty and affliction, the fuel that gives wings to prayer. How many times have you said that you were closest to God when things were most difficult? Yeah. Yeah. That's just setting it up as a way to live rather than waiting for the disaster. (laughs) Waiting and looking back afterwards and going, I was close. He's saying, when it comes, do not shun poverty and affliction, the fuel that gives wings to prayer. You notice what we're doing here. We're reading something, a little soundbite, and then we're having conversation around it. That's precisely why it was written, so that people could get together. They're meditating on Scripture. They meditate on these things together, and then they converse about it, and they pray about it. And it takes them someplace they wouldn't have gone otherwise. That's right. This is why I love St. Hesychius the Priest in Volume 1. There's something deep and rich and immensely practical about it. So... On page 179, Hesychius says, Whenever we are filled with evil thoughts, we should throw the invocation of our Lord Jesus Christ into their midst. Mm. Then, as experience has taught us, we shall see them instantly dispersed like smoke in the air. Mm. So that, to me, is so practical. When evil thoughts come, which I have a couple of those each day, (laughs) <laughs> I'm just a barrage of evil thoughts. I call upon the Lord Jesus, and it disperses them. They can't stand to be in the same place where I'm saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Then suddenly lust, or anger, or envy, or comparison, whatever it is, doesn't like to stick around when Jesus is there manifesting his presence. Read that again. Whenever we are filled with evil thoughts... We should throw the invocation of our Lord Jesus Christ into their midst. Then, as experience has taught us, we shall see them instantly dispersed like smoke in Mm, the air. That's great. Well, hopefully we've whetted appetites to get a little bit more and get a little bit more context. So we're going to put some of this information up on the website. You'll be able to find it at allsaints.center. Thank you for joining us, and thank you, Scott Duncan. Anything you want to say in conclusion here? Good to be a part of it. This is the sort of conversation that Philokalia engenders and that I would love to have more. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Really appreciate your time. time.